Welcome to the Rational Horizon Podcast, brought to you by the Central Valley Alliance of Atheists and Skeptics. The Rational Horizon Podcast is a discussion of issues relevant to atheists and skeptics in the California Central Valley. Hello and welcome to the July 12th edition of the Rational Horizon podcast. My name is Mark Boyd. I am the president of the Central Valley Alliance of Atheists and Skeptics. Sitting with me today is our vice president, Richard Moore. Good morning. And also one of our members, Justin. Hello. First, before we get into the rest of this, um, how's everyone doing today? Oh, I'm doing good. Apologize for having to cancel the last podcast. We had a busy weekend planned, and I had to work. I was trapped in San Francisco. I also had to cancel the trip to the San Francisco first ever world film festival for atheist films. I didn't get to go to the film festival, but I did attend the San Francisco atheist picnic annual picnic they have the day before, and that was great fun. We actually discussed hosting a uh, atheist film festival here in in Fresno at our last business meeting. That's right. So it looks like we can get the films that they showed in San Francisco. We do have to find a venue to show the films, and we'll be contacting a couple of places. Uh, we have to keep the costs down, and the films will be shown for free. It looks like it was a great selection. I talked with the organizer up there. I think everybody really enjoyed the the festival. They had several hundred people that attended. Really? And what are these films? Are they hour apiece or, or what? They had some full-length films. I won't give any of them away in case they show up here. But they uh, showed full-length films, and then they were documentary format. And uh, they also then had uh, put together a loop of atheist uh, YouTube videos or stand-up comedian bits, uh, some Monty Python thrown in, Edward Current. It was all very funny. In fact, at one point, they were showing some Edward Current films. Uh, you can find those on YouTube if, you, if you've never seen them. They're little, they're little short commentaries on religion. So I'm sitting there, and they just showed the films, and then I noticed sitting in front of me is Edward Current. So <laughs> <laughs> that was sort of a, a funny, surreal moment. Well, I took time to go up to the uh, Bay Area Skeptics Skeptically Drinking. They, they had uh, Jay Novella and another guest whose name has just escaped me at the Skeptically Drinking. I'll have to... Oh, Benjamin Radford was there. Benjamin Radford, yes, thank you. So their venue was very interesting. Uh, They did it in the 21st Amendment Bar and Grill in San Francisco. Whenever I walked in, I noticed immediately that it had a seating capacity of 182 people and that there seemed to be about 300 people in the facility. Whenever I started asking around about where the skeptics were, the waitresses didn't seem to know what I was talking about. I did get one waitress that said that there were about three or four different groups meeting there at the same time. I had some really good food. I never did get to meet uh, Jay or Ben. Uh, I wish I had. I'm told that I probably walked right past them, so I missed out. I'm told that it was very good. They took over the mezzanine. I had some really good food. I talked to some very interesting Bay Area people, had a couple of good conversations, but not with the actual skeptics people. 
there were about 40 or so skeptics there in a area that had close to 200 people, I would guess. So I'm not too surprised that I didn't find them, but I'm skeptical that they actually exist. <laughs> I went, went at interesting observation because I was at the when I was at the San Francisco Atheist picnic, people were surprised to see someone from Fresno up there. Uh, atheism in San Francisco, that being a very progressive community, if you tell someone you're an atheist, it, it really it, it, it they're nonplussed. It's like so. Uh, so it's interesting. They don't really have a huge active membership because it's, it's pretty much the whole the whole city. So but it's the default position. It's a default position. There's not a lot of active big churches in San Francisco that I can see. In Fresno, it's interesting because an atheist here, you know, you, you run into people who really want to take you on for your beliefs quite consistently. And it, it's a big deal here. People generate letters to the editor about it. In the Central Valley, All it, it's pretty much the same. Once you go to the Bay Area saying I'm an atheist, is it's just, it's not a big deal. Now, we in the the CVAS group here, whenever we have an event, we try to make some way for you to know who it is. So if you're coming to a CVAS event, look for someone that has one of the books on the table somewhere. Someone sitting there who have a book from Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris or Daniel Dennett or something like that. If you find that guy, you probably have met the person in the group who's doing a meet and greet. So, we call ourselves the Central Valley Alliance of Atheists and Skeptics. We like to think that the entire Central Valley is our stomping ground, but we're more interested, uh, or we're more focused, I should say, on everything from Stockton all the way down to Bakersfield in the Grapevine Pass and from the mountain ranges to the west and the east. From Fresno down to Bakersfield, there is a lot of stuff that is reported in the local news agencies as straight news, whether it be Reiki, homeopathy, healing touch. It's reported as straight news with no opposing opinion at all. Whenever it's happened in the local news with the ghost hunters, we managed to get an opposing opinion in there after a great deal of effort. You know, another thing, too, is what could be a straight news story will then have an addendum tacked on, which will turn it into a haunted house story, or will turn it into an uh, image in a tree stump or oh, you type mean, of story. You mean like they're, they're just giving a regular story? It could be a regular story. I mean, there are interesting things about old houses. There are interesting things about Halloween but, you know, I find Halloween interesting without actually thinking real ghosts are out on the streets haunting people. Well, you know, fantasy's always fun. And yes. It's whenever your fantasies start seeming way too real that we start to worry about it. I'd like to talk about some of the local woo, um, and this is going to be one of our reoccurring sections in the Rational Horizon podcast. James Randi uses the word woo or woo-woos fairly often, and in tribute to Mr. Randi, I'd like to talk about the local woo that has been happening in the valley. I'd like to start out with the Fresno Homeopathic Clinic. Now, homeopathy is the belief that diluting a substance in a liquid in a very certain manner you can create a medicinal uh, substance that can be applied to relieve symptoms of whatever problem you happen to be experiencing. 
in homeopathy, the belief goes that the more diluted something is, the stronger its properties become, which is very odd because you get to a point where the dilution rates are so high that there's not even any of the original chemical left inside of it, not even a single molecule. So why would someone think that that would have some sort of healing powers if you've totally removed the active substance from the... Well, the, the reading that I've done on it, the modern people believe that it has healing powers because it's been demonstrated to have healing powers. In other words, they say, we know it works because we've shown it to work. But since you're diluting the substance down to where it's indistinguishable from water, right. how, how would you know the homeopathic substance has any superior healing powers over just plain tap water? Yeah, this is a huge problem for homeopathy that they try to, to hand wave away where they say, well, it, it works, so it doesn't matter that there's no original substance in it. But what they really can't answer is if it doesn't matter that the original substance isn't in it any longer, then what other original substances might be in it? Let's say I made a homeopathic preparation to uh, reduce a fever, and I didn't like it, so I threw it into the local water supply. I dumped it down the toilet or whatever. It goes out, it goes through our sanitation, it gets dumped into the ocean, goes through the evaporation process, and... and Theoretically becoming more and more powerful along the way, well, because it's, it's going through more and more dilutions. Well, it could be, but that's, there's no secessions going on where they have a very specific method on how they dilute it. So let's just assume okay. that it's spreading out, you know, and being diluted in a bad way and, and just going into our, our water supply. And so maybe a molecule of it goes all the way through the evaporation cycle, ends up in the mountains, and is bobbled into some bottled water somewhere. And at some point in time, that water is used for someone else's brand new homeopathic solution. Well, this, during this whole process, there's no methodology for that water molecule to forget its past association with the original homeopathic preparation. So if it goes through another set of preparation, then perhaps it's tainting the new homeopathic preparation. Um, this is a problem. If water has memory, it re remembers everything it's ever come in contact with. And water has been on this planet for billions of years. And it has gone through fish and trilobites and oceans and... Uh, it's gone through the evaporation cycle and back down on the mountains over and over again. How many things is this water remembering? Until homeopathy can come up with a method for explaining how they clear the water's memory of past association, there really is no logic behind what they do. Let's go back to your earlier statement, though, is that a homeopathic uh, practitioner may say that they don't need to explain the me um, mechanism by which homeopathic therapies work. They just know they work. That brings up the question is, how does one know if something works versus something does not work? Now, I always, I always have a useful definition for objective evidence I like to give, which is objective evidence is evidence in which the results are the same for all observers following the same protocol, regardless of their beliefs, and within a certain predetermined statistical variation 
before the experiment is determined. Now, in the case of homeopathy, is there any objective evidence that would lead one to think that a homeopathic preparation is objective? In other words, what will everyone who follows a protocol for preparing a homeopathic uh, recipe, will they all get exactly the same result, regardless of what they expect to see before they begin? This is the whole point of scientific journals. A, a scientist will create an experiment, and then he will document the experiment very carefully. And then he will publish his results in a journal to say what he did. Other scientists will see these results and they will try to duplicate his efforts. If his procedure is poor, then scientists, they're vicious. They will tear into him. Your procedure really sucked. If you have a poor procedure, usually I think what happens is then the statistical variation is so great that your results are indistinguishable from a, from a random process. So you need to have a procedure, a protocol that says, for instance, if I do this with plain water as a control, if I double blind it so no one knows which are the controls and which are the preparations, at the end of it, can you tell which, which substance truly had the effect that you beforehand determined you were going to see? I, you know, is that the sort of testing one does with homeopathic? There have been straight tests of homeopathy. And I went through um, several years ago looking for proof that homeopathic uh, remedies did work. I looked it up in the uh, Medline server for uh, medical journals. And one of the first things that I ran into that just absolutely shocked me was that there are medical journals for alternative medicine. There are medical journals for crystals, for homeopathy, for healing touch. And so all of these journals started with the assumption that the alternative medicine was actually working. In the Journal of Homeopathy, there is no assumption that homeopathy doesn't work. It always starts with the assumption that it does work. In other words, by, by saying that they expect it to work, they don't worry about the issue of controls and double blinds. No. Because they take it as assumed up front that it does work. They're really just testing how effective it is. Right, exactly. Yes. So I went to, to find out if anyone has tested whether or not it does work. I had to go to journals like Lancet. There was one 1986 study that said that homeopathy might be effective in allergic rhinitis. So what they did is that they talked about it and said that it might be effective and it needed more study. So in 97, 10 years after that, another article came out with a meta-analysis where they went through all of the different journals, all of the different studies in the more reputable journals, and they just went through and tried to analyze everything. And they came out and said, well, it's, it's really no better than a placebo. I'd like to point out too, because you know the earlier study, when, when a study says it might have benefit, we can't rule it out, we don't know. You can normally attribute these to, for whatever reason, uh, the researchers realized there was a deficiency in their protocol. Mm. And the statistical results that they gathered at the end uh, did not give them a, a strong reason to either accept or reject their hypothesis. Because it, it can be very difficult, especially when we're talking about human beings, to create protocols that uh, you can have those sort of conclusions. And then people, you know, being clever, they'll, they'll think of better protocols or they'll get better funding 
or they can, another technique is like you mentioned, they can do a meta-analysis and they can look over a, a number of not quite perfect protocols and maybe come up with a stronger conclusion based on the fact of the repeated trials. Right. Uh, strengthens the statistics one way or the other. Right. So whenever I really started getting into it, it turned out that the, the first study in, in 1986 that I ran into actually wasn't a study. It was a letter to Lancet from someone who was testing this, and he really didn't give any of his evidence or proof or stuff like that. So this is, this is what you see in the regular journals. Every time you, you find in the regular journals a, a, a true double-blind study, it has always come out with no better than placebo. As soon as you start getting into the homeopathy journals, they start, instead of saying, does this work, what they do is they say, does this homeopathic solution work better than that homeopathic solution? So which placebo is giving us a better effect is, is what they're doing. And yes, they can get an actual statistical difference in that, but it's, it's not huge. Okay, and when you say which placebo gives a better effect, I guess what you're saying is that which suggestion to the human mind produces a stronger <laughs> response. And I think we can recognize that, that certain suggestions to the human mind will, will evoke different levels of response in terms of the placebo effect. Mm -hmm. I personally believe by threatening to poke myself with needles, my pain will start to go away all by itself, because <laughs> I'm not a real fan of needles. So I, I want to get back to what I was saying, that there is a homeopathic clinic here in Fresno, and I was very interested in that. Whenever I say clinic, Justin, for, just for, for <laughs> you, whenever I say clinic, what do you think of? Describe to me what a clinic would look like when you walk in through the front door. Oh, ideally, uh, you know, you'd see a brightly lit, clean, large size office with lots of doctors and nurses running around doing things. <laughs> this, was, this was the idea that I got too. You know, I'm thinking there's a homeopathic clinic there's probably a desk with a receptionist, a little pad for signing in, soft music, you know, <laughs> used uh, magazines on the tables, and several doctors in the background. And for a homeopathy clinic, you'd think that there'd also be some original research going on in there somewhere, too, because this is such sure. an interesting science that anyone can do. And powerful. And it's powerful, yes. <laughs> Apparently. So... There's a homeopathic clinic over on um, Shaw and Angus in Fresno, and so I went over to take a look just the other day. I took my camera with me so I could see what was going on there. It was Saturday, so I'm afraid the office was closed. I didn't actually get to go into the office, but I got to take a look at the surroundings, and, and I had to form an opinion from that. The, the building that I got to is one of these buildings that is kind of an office building where everyone sublets offices to it. It's a tall building, but it's a single floor, I believe. And the offices are mostly rented to hairdressers and nail salons. So each office is about the size of a standard bedroom. The hair salon had maybe two or three chairs in it. They were doing hairstyling in it. The um, manicure, they had like uh, three or four different fingernail stations in there. And there were multiple little offices down corridors in this building. So I looked up the homeopathic clinic on the front of their directory, and I went down the hallway and found them, tucked around a corner that was tucked around a corner. 
apparently the homeopathic clinic shares their small room with both a realtor and an insurance agent, which seem to be, all be the same guy. I, I found that very interesting. So it says in big letters on one sign, it says homeopathic clinic. And underneath it says uh, the gentleman's name with the name Realty, Realty, excuse me. So the gentleman's name, Realty, and then underneath that, it's the same gentleman who's also an insurance agent. Although I'm not saying the guy's name, I do believe he is from India. And I have encountered several times that homeopathy seems to be very prevalent in India. Well, yeah, in fact, I... Um... Discussions I've had online, evidently, in India, you can obtain sort of the equivalent to an MD degree here in the United States, but you're really a doctor of homeopathy, ah. and you have a lot of status. How many years do you have to go through school to get that? I'm, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure how much of it uh, entails normal medical training or uh, background uh, biology, physiology. Uh, but that's not uncommon. I mean, you know, you can sample those things in, into many different professions. I wonder, though, I mean, because there's a large immigration, a large immigrant population in the Central Valley, and, and all over we see small stores. The, the products they offer are, are really folk remedies they've brought from, from, from whatever country that they've immigrated from. But I've noticed with homeopathy, people seem to distinguish it from those sort of folk remedy shops where people grind up uh, a local root and something, and they claim it has some sort of you know healing power. They, we look askance at that, but when it comes to homeopathy, we seem to suspend our disbelief and say, wow, there must be something there. There is one test for any homeopaths that may be listening that I would really like to know the answer to. With regular medicine, it's possible to overdose and kill yourself. Tylenol is a big thing right now. They're taking Tylenol out of... Uh, uh, narcotic preparations because people have been overdosing on the Tylenol and and actually killing themselves on it. Tylenol is a wonderful product. It does really good things for you when taken in the recommended dosages. Is it possible to make a homeopathic remedy that is deadly? If it is effective, then it should also be effectively deadly. Is there a deadly nightshade version of, of a homeopathic remedy? Right. Can you overdose on a homeopathic remedy? Is it possible? Well, it's possible to overdose on water. Now, right. is, the dose, is the overdose rate of homeopathy equal to the LD50 for water? I'm not sure. Is it possible to overdose on a homeopathic okay. remedy? Well, when, you bought, when, when you see various homeopathic products that are available, whether at your drugstore or online, um, they normally carry a statement that, that I always find very interesting. And, and the statement goes something like, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So if you go to a homeopathic clinic, do they claim something different? I don't know. If they do claim to be able to treat a disease or cure a disease, uh, I think they would then fall under various licensing requirements by the state of California, and I think they would have to have a medical doctor on staff who would be willing to use his medical license to back up any claims, though I don't know that uh, a doctor cannot practice homeopathy in the United States. I believe he can. I don't think there's any reason why not. I think it's a buyer beware sort of hmm. uh, mentality there. I'd also like to point out, too, that uh, you were talking about, you know, you looked up 
various studies. A lot of people, lot of people are aware of this, but the federal government a couple of years ago decided through the NIH, National Institute of Health, to fund research into complementary and alternative medicines. They've spent over $2.5 billion on this. Mm-hmm. And while many products make claims, and uh, for instance, they will say that uh, a, a natural product like Echinacea can do various things in terms of you know uh, warding off or speeding up recovery from colds, and then they will state on their product that uh, the product has not been uh, evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. That is true, but in a lot of cases now, it has been evaluated by the NIH through this program. Really? And I'd like to point out that at this point, none of them, none of them have shown to be any more effective than a placebo. Hmm. There was an interesting thing that was brought up in uh, Steve Novella's podcast where homeopathic medicines are starting to come with real medicine in them. Well, yes. I mean, but that's, that's what, they're, they're really redefining homeopathy at that point, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. It's it's not a, a homeopathic medicine. Any, so if you have a homeopathic medicine that supposedly cures headaches and one of its ingredients at 20% of the product is aspirin, then, you know, can you call it homeopathic? With, whether man-made or a natural source of a salicylic acid, it really doesn't matter. You're still, you've now put a real chemical in there known to have real effects on the human body, which is not the proposed mechanism for homeopathy. Right. Homeopathic medicines are everywhere. You've got to be really careful. You might accidentally buy them. They're on the shelves at uh, Walmart or the drugstores or whatever. And if you look at some of these, some of these actually show that 80% of the product is uh, a homeopathic solution, and 20% of it is a medical chemical. And, and that's very interesting to me, that they have to have that chemical in there to make this thing work. We're going to take more of a look on homeopathy in a later podcast, so um, stay tuned to that. I'd like to get into some of the other local news and some of the other local weirdnesses here. In Stockton, California, there is a gentleman who has lived at the same house for 22 years. He has a tree in his front yard. He um, has a limb lopped off on that tree, so it's kind of a stump there. And apparently it's been a stump on the side of his tree for a long time. But just the other day, just recently, he looked up at the stump on his tree and he realized that he saw Michael Jackson in his tree. <laughs> you know, the, I, I know that we have seen, I know that people have seen the Virgin Mary and Jesus and, and what have you in toast or images on the sides of buildings or, or anything of that nature. But it's, it's really interesting to see this kind of paradilia for popular stars that are raised to such a high level in, in our public conscious. Well, what's interesting is evidently he never saw Michael Jackson in the stump of his tree until Michael Jackson's death. So do I conclude that the image was not there and just recently appeared, or that he just now became aware of the fact that this tree stump he presumably stirred at many times over the years suddenly contained the image of Michael Jackson? Yeah, it's it, this is the question that I had, you know, uh, why now? Well, apparently because this is a figure that's high in everyone's mind right now, 
Everyone knows what Michael Jackson looks like. He's been brought to our public consciousness uh, very forcefully during his death. So our, our natural biological mechanism is to see faces, to see familiar faces. Who would be more familiar at this point in time than Michael Jackson? So this whole phenomenon is called pareidolia. I know that pareidolia is where you, you, you take a, a random pattern and you map it onto a, a image that you are familiar with. In this case, I think it's a little interesting is because, and a little different than the Virgin Mary, because in this case, the image was sitting there the whole time, and I believe that, he, that Michael Jackson's death you know, put a suggestibility into his brain, that then his brain put the pattern that he'd probably seen many times and said, oh, that's now Michael Jackson. Right, and, and then by bit, him suggesting it to other people, yes. then other people would be more um, likely to see it. If Diana Ross had just died, I wonder if it would instead be a tree stump with Diana Ross. Or Fair Fawcett. <laughs> well, you know, and that's interesting because, you know, Fair Fawcett was kind of upstaged on the same day right. that Michael Jackson died. So it could have very well been Fair Fawcett on this tree stump if Michael Jackson hadn't died that day. Now, what's the... De had, did you see a picture of what the tree stump looks like or what kind of... I, I have a picture. It? It's in the... It's on CBS13.com. Um, you can look it up. It's called Family Sees Image of Michael Jackson and Tree Stump. Well, I do assume, though, that he wouldn't have seen just any face, that there has to be something about the pattern of the tree stump that, that his brain matches to the general look of Michael Jackson. Right. Well, actually, I'm looking at it right now, and I have to say that the image that jumps out in, in my mind isn't Michael Jackson. It's um, Cornelius from Planet of the Apes. <laughs> you know, I can see, now that you've mentioned that... Uh, <laughs> now that you've placed the suggestion in my mind, uh, I buy that. Um, well, it's just look, like looking at clouds. And one, one person can identify something, and as soon as they say it, you're like, oh, oh, well, yeah, I do see that, actually. Yeah, so that's the classic, you know, me thinks it is a weasel. You know, it, uh, you, you search out the answer that you want. Right, that cloud is a bunny rabbit. And as soon yeah. as you point out where the fluffy tail and the ears are, the other guy says, oh, yeah, I see it, too. So this is the, the power that our minds have with pattern matching. We try to pattern match everything. And you think about it. Whenever you walk into a store and you're going to buy some laundry detergent, you're not looking for the word Tide. You're looking for a distinctively colored box with a distinctive pattern on it. And you get to that very quickly. You can pick that off the shelf very quickly because you pattern matched it. The, the word itself isn't important. People who get to be uh, very accomplished at reading do the same thing. They're not looking at individual letters in text anymore. They're pattern matching the entire word or large sections of the word. And our minds are very good at this, but because they're so good at pattern matching, they run into the problem of false positives. Yes. They uh, falsely pattern match things and come out with a perfectly it seems right conclusion. The smiley face, the standard yellow smiley face we see everywhere, is excellent example. Two dots and a curved line is pattern matched very well to a face because we are biologically programmed to see faces. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's been the suggestion as, as a theory uh, based on evolutionary theory is that there is a, a, a distinct survival advantage to be able to see patterns in things and put them together from a very little bit of information and... False positives are much less hazardous to your health than false negatives. 
Right. right. If you think you see a tiger in the bushes and you run away from it, there's no detriment to it. Even if there's no tiger in the bushes, you've run away and you've just used up a few calories, but, you know, you didn't die from doing it. Yes. Yeah, it's very common. I mean, everyone's seen this. I've seen, you know, famous uh, stumps on the hill that look like the Indian shooting the arrow, and they become famous landmarks mm -hmm. uh, until... A branch breaks off, at which point you know, <laughs> they no longer look like what they used to look like. Um, we're going to start wrapping this up. Um, I'd like to point out that uh, we are interested in any local events, whether you are a believer or a non-believer, an atheist, a skeptic. If you know of any events in the uh, local area that would be of interest, whether they are about ghosts or homeopathy or alternative healing or skeptical events, please send an email to comment or comments at rationalhorizon.com. If you'd like to learn more about the Central Valley Alliance of Atheists and Skeptics, you can find them online at www.cvaas.org. And you can send comments to them at info at cvaas.org. Thank you very much for listening to Rational Horizon Podcast. Hey, this is Jonathan Colton, and you're listening to a podcast released under a Creative Commons license. CC, baby. Check it out.